So the first question you might want to know is, why are we going to talk about marriage in church? What does that got to do with Jesus? What does that got to do with the gospel? And I want to tell you everything. In fact, I think, I believe that the Bible is one story. You may have heard me say this before. It's one complete story. It goes from the beginning of Genesis, and it, maybe it ends in Revelation, but I know it goes on. But, but for our part, it, it's one story. It has a beginning, and it has a middle, and it has an end, and it has a climax, and it has a plot, and it has all of those things. And we would call this story the mission of God. It's a story about God who's on a mission to reach and to save people. And the climax is sending his son to die for people, to save those people. But there's more to the story. So it's a good story. But let me tell you why marriage is so intricately woven into that story. Because the story, I told you, has a beginning and a middle and an end, like all stories do. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the story has a beginning. And in the beginning, one of the first scenes is a wedding. One of the first things we see is a wedding in the Garden of Eden. And then the very end of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, is another wedding. It's a wedding between the groom of Christ and the bride, his church. And all throughout the middle of the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the prophets are talking about marriage, talking about weddings. God likens himself to our husband. Jesus likens, likens himself to our groom. It's all over the place. And so it's, the story is about a wedding. There's a lot of weddings in the story. Um, so so to take, for instance, the first story, wedding in the Bible. It's in a garden, and it's when God introduces Eve to Adam, and he puts them together, and he says to them, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and the two will be united and become one flesh, and, 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 and let it be so, is what God says. Now, incidentally, when God said that, Adam did not have a mother and a father, remember? <laughs> so why did God say, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and his father? Adam could have interrupted and said, what's a mother? <laughs> you know what I mean? What's the father? So God essentially was creating a pattern, creating a, creating a formula for all marriage from that day forward. He was saying, this is what's going to happen. A man and a woman are going to become one, and they're going to live happily ever after. That's what God did in the beginning. And then in the end, he tells us another story about the marriage between the groom. Christ always says, I'm the groom. I'm waiting for my bride, and he's preparing his bride, and the church is his bride. So the whole story is about a wedding. You could say it's kind of like a fairy tale. It's um, like, you know, the, the, the prince rides in and destroys the dragon and takes the princess and gets married and lives happily ever after. That's really what the whole story of the Bible can be about. And that's interesting. Now, I need to say this because that might have turned some of you off. Um, the Bible is not a chick flick, okay? Can I just say that? Yes, it is about a prince who kills the dragon and, and, and marries the princess, but it's no chick flick. And you know this if you've read the Bible. It's full of blood violence and weird stuff, right? So it's not sisterhood of the traveling pants kind of a love story. This is an awesome love. For instance, um, in the last scene in the Bible, I told you about that wedding. When Jesus comes down, the groom comes down to meet his bride. Listen to what it says. It's blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Oh, that's sweet, isn't it? I hear a sisterhood of the traveling pants song playing in the background, right? Someone, anyone hear it? Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding but wait, let's just get this chick flick out of here. Let's, let me show you what's going to happen. Then Jesus, I saw heaven open and Jesus riding on a white horse, ready to make war. His eyes are like the flame of fire. He's clothed in a robe that was dipped in blood. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and purple and pure, were following him on white horses. And it goes on to say, come, let us eat the flesh of the men of the... Eat. And it just goes on. That's pretty nasty. So... 
It's not a chick flick. Can someone say amen? So marriage is not about love and sweet and, you know, gooeyness. It's manly stuff, the stuff of the Bible. And it's not, not womanly stuff, but it's manly, real, raw, kind of, not fairy tale-ish. It's re- fairy tale-ish. It's real. Someone say amen. It's real. And so we're going to talk about marriage for the next six weeks. And I think a good place to start would be Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is, I think, the, if you wanted to know, Ephesians chapter 5 is like the marriage manual. If you read Ephesians chapter 5, you'll see a lot about marriage, and I think it's good. In fact, <clears throat> when I do a wedding, I always do it from Ephesians chapter 5. And I tell the couple that in advance. This is, this is what I'm going to do it from. I'm not going to do it on Corinthians, the love chapter because it doesn't apply to marriage. <laughs> I'm not going to do it on Psalms, you know, walking in the daisies with your, 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 your spouse forever. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it on Ephesians 5, and it's good, and you're going to like it. And then in premarital counseling, we walk through that together, and it's a powerful, powerful verse. But for the sake of today, I just want to show you the last two verses, because I think it sums up most of the chapter. I mean, look at the last two verses of Ephesians chapter 5. It says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound. So Paul is quoting the very first marriage, and he's using that again as the formula. He's saying this is what happens in marriage. They leave the father and the mother, and the two become one. And then he says, and this mystery is profound. And if you're married today, raise your hand if you're married, or been married, you should say, amen, Paul. <laughs> that is profound. Two Becoming one, and a man and a woman at that? Are you kidding me? How can a man and a woman, two different people, become one person? That's profound, isn't it? Someone say amen. Now, I don't know a lot. I don't know a lot, but let me tell you what I know about a man and a woman, okay? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I know about men and women. Here it comes. Wait for it. Wait for it. They're different. Would you, would you agree with that? Quite different. The way we handle things, the way we talk about things, the way we under... Aren't we different? Um, Take, for instance, maybe shopping. How are men and women different in shopping? Well, here's how men and women are different in shopping. A man will pay $10 for an item that should be $5, but he needs it. Who cares? I need it. I'm going to buy it. Right? Am I right? You go to the hardware store, this hammer is not worth $10, but I'm in a hurry. I'm just going to buy it. A woman, on the other hand, will pay $5 for a $10 item that she doesn't even need because it was on sale. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Why did you? (laughs) We don't need this. I know. (laughs) I wonder if you guys have this discussion at your house. I'll let you ponder it for a minute. (laughs) Are men and women different? They are. How could you do it under? It's got to be over. Raise your hand if you're over. Okay, raise your hand if you're under. Different, just different, different. That's an argument. Raise your, hand if it's, raise your hand if this is an argument or has ever been an argument in your house. No one? Okay, all right, there is one, there is one. <laughs> How about when it comes to arguing? Are men and women different in a, in a fight? Okay, if you don't know this, I'll just tell you, because all of us men know it. In a fight, in your fight, in your marriage, the woman always has to have the last word. Am I right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> And us men also need to know that any word that we say after that last word is the beginning of a new fight, right? So don't just give them the last word. (laughs) Men and women are different. 
How about when it comes to cats? Should I go here? <laughs> I'm just trying to be offensive. So one thing I know is that men and women are different. And the Bible says this mystery between a man and a woman, that a man and a woman, two distinctly different, greatly different people, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, kind of different, come together and become one flesh. That's a profound mystery. And can you guess also that it's going to be difficult? Is that going to be difficult for a man and a woman to become one? You bet your right bottom dollar there's going to be pain and suffering. In fact, I have a friend that says marriage is like a three-ring circus. You got your engagement ring, then you got your wedding ring, and then comes the suffering. <laughs> and it's just true because you can't take two and become one and there not be pain and suffering. Marriage changes you. You change one another. You have to put up with other people's different opinions and live together happily ever after, and that is going to be painful. So there's, there's no question about it. It's difficult. And if you pretend like it's not, then that, that's when it gets worse, right? We need to just admit it. It gets worse. Now, I told you this joke. Wedding ring, you know, engagement ring, suffering, and you guys all laughed, and we do laugh, and we often laugh about how hard marriage is and how difficult um, the relationships between the sexes are. But it's also kind of sad that we laugh because a lot of people, a lot of people, buckle under that suffering. So it's hard, I can't deal with it anymore, and they quit. In fact, I don't probably need to tell you the statistics, but they're super high of divorce. And in fact, just, 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 just to put my cards on the table and your cards too, I'm going to put your cards on the table right now. The statistics are true in this room, right? I mean, you, you, in this room, there's divorce, probably 50%. And, and I just want, I want to go ahead and put that on the table to say, if you've been in a divorce, I'm not here to condemn you for that or judge you for that. It's statistically probable. And, it's, and, 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 and you're safe. This is a safe place for you. And we're going to talk about marriage, and I don't want you to feel guilty about those things that happened in the past, but I want you to see how God designed marriage for your present. Can, can someone say amen? So I know there are people here who are single, people here who are divorced, people here who are remarried, and I don't want this to be a painful conversation. I actually want it to be a redeeming one. So I just wanted to put that on the table right away. Um, Melissa McCarthy, probably someone you don't want to get marriage advice from, she has a TED Talk on marriage. You guys ever watch TED Talks? No? Oh, they're awesome. You watch TED Talks? No, okay. I love TED Talks. They're great. You should watch them. They're like 10, 15-minute talks. You get a lot of information in them. Anyway, she does a TED Talks, and she opens up her TED Talk like this. She says, um, she says, every year in America alone, 2,077,000 couples make a legal and spiritual decision to spend the rest of their lives together and never have sex with anyone else. And when she says that, everyone laughs, right? Because she's on stage and it's funny. And then she says, and they will vow that nothing in front of God, in front of their family, in front of the priest, they will vow that nothing, not poverty, not life-threatening illness, not complete and utter misery, not a 50-pound weight gain, will ever put the tiniest damper on their eternal love and devotion for one another. And everyone laughs. That's what happens. We say, we're never, never going to leave each other. Sickness and in health. Poverty and in weight gain. We're never going to leave each other. And then, but we all know that half of them, half of those Americans will end in divorce. And when she told that story, that might have been true, but the statistics now is more like 60% or even 65%. It's more than half, more than half end in divorce. And so I want us to see 
that marriage um, is God's plan, and it is, has a very uh, specific purpose, and it shouldn't end in divorce, and we should fight for it. And, and so what I want to talk about is this word mystery. Now, I mentioned before that the word mystery, um, as, it, as Paul explains it, sounds kind of like, that's weird. That's, yeah, that's two becoming one. Whoa, who could figure that one out? But there's another way that we could read the word mystery. We could read it like the word maybe secret. Um, say, Paul says, two become one flesh, and this secret is profound. So it's a secret. It's a key to unlocking the mysteries. Your marriage is a secret key to unlocking the mysteries of the gospel, of God, of God's purpose for the, for the world. And so that word mystery, in fact, in Greek is mysterion, and it is also literally used for the gospel. Paul sometimes speaks about the gospel as being the mystery that was hidden from ages past, but now has been revealed to us through his son. Do you remember that verse? What Paul's saying here is, this mystery is profound. Yes, two becoming one is a profound thing. But then Paul says, whoa, 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 but I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and his church. Wait a minute, you were talking about marriage. <laughs> you quoted the verse from Genesis chapter 3 when they got married. And you said the two should become one flesh, leaves and become one flesh. That's marriage. No, 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 I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's a profound mystery. So I've talked about what marriage is. It's two becoming one, and that's profound. But now let's talk about what the gospel is and this secret. And the gospel is simply this. The gospel is that God loves the world so much that he reaches in to reach to save people, to draw them close to himself. Remember I told you that the whole story is called the mission of God. God's on a mission from the beginning to the end to reach people who are far from him and reconcile with them and have a loving, perfect, harmonious relationship with them. And so he sent his son to die, of course, on the cross to pay for our sins, that we would have no offense, and that we would be purified in his bride and become interrelated uh, with him forever. Or to put it even simpler, it would be this. The gospel is God loves the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish without God, but have eternal life with God. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And so the next question might be, how does, how does marriage, Mike, become a secret key to unlocking that, the gospel? Well, there's lots of ways that I can unpack that, but let me just read you a quote from Timothy Keller. Keller says this, On the one hand, the experience of marriage will unveil the beauty and depths of the gospel to you. When you're in marriage and you experience it, you'll understand the gospel more. And it will drive you further into reliance on it. You'll need it. On the other hand, a greater understanding of the gospel will help you experience deeper and deeper union with each other as the years go on. So marriage, he adds, is a major vehicle for the gospel's remaking of your heart from the inside out. So when you're in marriage, when you're in a relationship, even if it's not marriage, if it's just a roommate, for instance, that relationship is going to teach you about the gospel, but specifically marriage is more so because it's a commitment for life. And it's going to drive you to depend on it. You're going to depend on the gospel in your marriage, and it's going to be a vehicle for you to experience it together. Let me explain, let me unpack it in a couple of ways. There's so many ways to unpack it, by the way. Um, so we know that the gospel is given to us as a gift. That's awesome. And it's a glorious thing, right? It changes us. But we also know that it's painful. The gospel is painful. 
It costs Jesus his life. That's true. That's painful. But it also costs us our lives. Because once we accept it, we die to ourselves, and we are resurrected anew in Jesus Christ. We know this. But, and you and I know that even though you've been saved by Jesus and you're a new creation, you're still very much kind of like the old creation. Am I right? You still do things you shouldn't do. Come on, admit it. You're still selfish. You're still prideful. You still say things that you wish, oops, I probably should not be saying that anymore. <laughs> you still think thoughts you shouldn't be thinking. And so every day is a constant battle of, I am not who I want to be. I am not who I ought to be. I'm trying to be more like Christ, but I'm still so hung up on being more like me. <laughs> I like me, and I don't want to change. Most people don't want to change. And God, when he comes into our lives, begins to change us, and we resist it quite a bit, quite a bit. And, then when, and when you get married, that happens too, does it not? Two people come into a house together, and now you have to be changed. They're changing each other. And I don't want to be changed, but you're going to have to change if you're going to live with me. You know what I mean? And things happen, and that hurts, and it's painful, and it's hard. But it's just like the gospel. God changes us. That's a painful experience, a hard experience. It's not easy. And marriage changes you. One thing I know for sure about marriage is it changes you. Can someone say amen? In fact, I am so glad I am not the same person I was at 27 before I got married. If I was still that person, we would all be in trouble. I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I'd be somewhere else acting stupid. Do you know what I'm saying? Someone say amen, Mike. We're glad you're not 27. In fact, I know people who are single, and I can't wait for them to get married because they need to be changed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Please get married. Let that woman change you. You often hear people say this, I want someone who loves me for me and who doesn't seek to change me. Well, you're missing the point of marriage altogether. Marriage is designed to change you. In fact, the ancient church used to call it a sacrament. It was meant to make you more sacred. It's meant to, to make you a better person. I'm a better person today because of my wife. She tells me things that I should already know. Am I right? Just don't say this, don't do that. You think you're funny, you're not. Don't wear that, it doesn't match. Don't say too much. I'll give you an example. Um, I started this little core group of guys that we get together and share our souls to one another. And in our first week, she stopped me on the way out the door. She goes, now, don't share too much on the first week. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't have anything to hide. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> don't share too much on the first week. And I needed that. I needed her to you know, pull me back a little bit. My wife is good. So um, marriage changes you. It changes you a lot, does it not? I know one person who said, I feel sorry for my wife because since we've been married, she's, been, she's lived with five different men, and they're all me. <laughs> <laughs> so marriage changes you. And as it changes you, you begin to experience the gospel. Marriage forces you to be forgiving as Christ is forgiving to you. You have to forgive your spouse. And, 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 I, and I don't know about your marriage, but in mine, um, that forgiveness has to be quick. It has to be within the 10 minutes of the argument, pretty much. It has to, we have to solve this now, or else you're just walking around in pins and needles and probably breaking things that you don't need to break. Just got to be quick forgiveness. And that forgiveness has got to be permanent. I just forgive you. We're done. We're moving on. And that's like the gospel. Jesus forgives us. He died for us, so he can forgive us. It's a huge sacrifice. Let me do one more, one more illustration as to how it's like the gospel. In order for us to be saved, Jesus had to make an ultimate sacrifice for us. An ultimate sacrifice for us. And in marriage, you make a sacrifice for your spouse. You're constantly making sacrifices for each other. It's not about the me anymore. It's now about the we. 
And you can't have the we when you're thinking of me. Am I right? Does that make sense? So, so when you're in a relationship with a person and you have to decide where we're going out to eat, for instance, <laughs> it's got to be a we thing, not a me thing. Vacation, where you're going to live, what you're going to what kind of size of a house you're going to buy, all those things become very, very stressful in a marriage, and you've got to be making sacrifices for each other so that you're promoting the we rather than the me. And so it's the gospel. And every time in that situation, it's not easy. It's like, I don't want to do it this way. I don't want to eat at Chick-fil-A. You know, it, it, you're making sacrifices, and you're learning the gospel. So the, the mystery of marriage is that it teaches us, and it's a beautiful thing, it teaches us the gospel. And then the more and the more and the more that you stay together, forgive each other, make sacrifices for each other, the more you do that and the longer that lasts, the more and more you begin to see the permanence of the gospel, that God will never leave you nor forsake you. So our marriage is a picture of Christ and his church, of the gospel. And as, and as we begin to see that and experience that and know that, it makes that relationship more glorious. Wouldn't you agree? So some of the things we're going to talk about over the next few months, few weeks, five weeks, is today marriage is a mystery. Next week, I'm going to prove to you that you married the wrong person. You did. Primarily because the person you mar you're married to today is not the person you married. Someone say amen. <laughs> you're not the person I married because they change, and you're not the person they married either. Uh, the third week, we're going to talk about fighting. Raise your hand if you fight. <laughs> I wanted to see if anyone would raise their hand. It's true. Everyone does. Everyone fights. And we're going to look at the biblical model for how to fight clean and how to fight fair and how to fight good. Because good fights lead to good, um, good marriages. Week four, we're going to talk about friends with benefits. What, what a real marriage and relationship is, is friendship. And the friendship has tremendous benefits. Week five, we're going to talk about learning to dance. This beautiful dance that happens between a man and a woman is very similar to the beautiful dance that happens between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and it's powerful. And then last, we're going to talk about that big day, the big, you know, you're the big day of your wedding day, and then we're going to talk about the big day that we're going to have when we get married to Christ uh, um, in, 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 as his bride, the church. So that's where we're going.